Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. This week, we're very happy to welcome a return guest, Keelan Rose. We talked to you back in August 2020 for the release of your first album, and you now have a second album out called Truly. Keelan, thanks so much for joining us. Ah, oh, thank you. It's great to see you both again. You're joining us live from the wonderful musical city of Manchester. How's everything up there? Well, it's a lovely sunny day today, which is very... Um rare <laughs> but um, rare for this month especially yeah so I've just been making the most of that and I've been for a nice walk and yeah things are, are okay so I've, I'm having a nice day so far Manchester has a wonderful music scene but what with COVID you've missed out on that for more than a year mm -hmm. have things started up again yes they have actually they're starting to um yeah things are starting to unfold gradually um i've actually got a few gigs booked in myself coming up over the next few months and i'm, I'm so keen to get to see some live music i've got i've got to check actually um i booked multiple tickets for things last year so i need to see when everything's been rescheduled for but yeah, um, things are slowly but surely opening up again. We'll link to your website in the show notes. I see you've got something starting on July 3rd. How's it going to be to get back to performing after so long? I am quite um, nervous but excited. I think we're all, um, you know, I think everyone's really missed the live music or a lot of my peers are, are like musicians. So we're just all itching to get back to it. But it's definitely going to take a bit of um, getting used to again. I've done a couple of live streams and uh, I did one recently, actually, and I just forgot how even that's quite nerve wracking. I'm wondering about that. I, we've asked, of course, we've asked everybody during the pandemic, what are you doing to make up for not being able to play live? What are you doing to not be in the studio? Um, what did you do over the past year um, to, to cope with what was going on? Well, I was at the beginning of lockdown. I was still actually recovering from a period of being absent from kind of my normal life because I'd not been so well. Um, so it gave me a bit of time just to keep recovering, keep, uh, you know, taking it fairly easy, actually. But um, in the end, I signed up for a master's course and I've been studying uh, a music uh, popular music course um at the rncm so it, i mean it's been online but it's been fantastic it, it's given me so much more focus and drive again which is exactly what i needed because i just i i only love being busy and i just need something to get sort of structure is so important for me so that's been keeping me very busy <laughs> the RNCM is the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester. I'll put a link in the show notes. They have a wonderful concert series. I've only been once, but I got front row tickets to hear Brad Meldow and his trio a few years back. Amazing. Yeah, it's a good venue. They have a lot of great concerts and they, they uh, yeah, they're primarily like a classical con conservatoire. Um, but they started this popular music course in the last few years and it's been inspiring. It's just the tutors are brilliant and all my peers have been really even though we've not managed to meet up in person, it has been a real inspiring time just getting to create with different people in a different way online. Um, so, yeah. And it's not even far from where you live. You could probably walk there in 20 minutes or so. 
Um, I usually get the bus. It takes about yeah half an hour on the bus, so it's a bit further away. It's sort of down Oxford Road. Um, it's it's uh, just just on in the centre of town. So last time we talked to you, you talked a lot about busking. Have you done any busking now? I mean, are are you allowed to? I guess now since the lockdown has eased a bit, you could, right? Well, they just. Um, they just, I think it's just come back in. So since maybe May 17th, we haven't actually done any, but um, we're hoping to because um, there's a the beautiful park near where I live, Fletcher Moss Park, has got this uh, cafe, a takeaway cafe opened up and uh, the Alpine Tea Room. And uh, there's a lovely sort of seated area in the middle of the park. And we asked the owner if we could maybe do some busking there and they're all up for it. So maybe we'll get a few little uh, sessions in soon if the weather keeps nice. Are you rusty? Are you busking rusty? Oh, yes, I, I am a bit. I mean, I have been I have been playing and starting to write a few new tunes and stuff. But, yeah, I've got to get back into the flow of, uh, you know, playing the sets and um, yeah. Definitely. Well, that's a good way to start rather than for actual paying customers who might throw mm. rotten tomatoes if you're not very good. <laughs> very true. Yeah. Um, no, the, I love the busking. It's such a it's an exciting thing to do. And you're always meeting nice people. And uh, it's just on a sunny day just to be sat playing music outdoors. It's just a great feeling. But do you always meet nice people busking? No, that's true. Actually, as I said that, I was thinking, mm, yeah, there have been a few incidents actually where we've had a few sort of, yeah, um, yeah, it's not always great, but generally people are very nice. Another thing that's affecting your performance is Brexit. What's going to happen with, you, you mentioned last time you were performing in Europe and a number of countries. What's going to happen now? For those who aren't in the UK and don't know, there's this real problem for creative artists in the UK going to EU countries, having to get visas, paying for visas, having to get paperwork like weeks in advance. I know it's going to be, I, I am a bit worried about it. I don't know what I, I actually, the answer is. I don't know what it's going to involve at the moment. I don't know if it's clear yet, but um, we do have some concerts booked next year in um in Europe, in, in France and Germany, um, a few just dotted around supporting mammal hands. And I, yeah, I, we'll just have to see if logistically it's kind of feasible if, the, if it means that we have to spend a bit more money to get paperwork or various visas or what. I don't know what it's going to entail. Is there any push over there to, uh, to like make this easier? Uh, maybe by the time this rolls around, it'll be just a matter of like, I'm I'm taking off. The, the musicians have been complaining about this that it's not easier, but the government seems to not care. It's true. There have been campaigns. I've definitely signed a few petitions on the musicians' union that they've been running. But I, it feels like it's not. I mean, it's. I guess it's maybe not a priority at the minute, or it's at least been a bit distracted by, you know, what else has been going on. I guess. But I know. I just. I hope it does figure it get figured out because it's going to make life a lot diff more difficult and that's such a shame um you know to to share music uh, away from home and vice versa you know yeah maybe. yeah yeah it's just as difficult for europeans to come in i know mm -hmm. that i see this among a lot of classical musicians on uh, social media who are talking about you know they're used to 
flying off to Spain to do a concert and flying back or going to Germany for two nights or something. And it's become a, a lot more difficult than it was in the past. Yeah, it's not good. So truly, uh, Doug and I, before we started recording, we were trying to come up with adjectives to describe this album. Dreamy, mellow. How would you describe it in a couple of words? In a couple of words, I would say it's... Oh, <laughs> that's hard. I mean, it's it's. I'd like to say it's diverse in sound, but it's also a kind of it's honest. It's uh, it's um, hmm. Yeah, it's hard sound wise. Well, you have a sound that's yours, and it comes through in both records. And, and the idea of dreamy is something that came to me this morning. I was listening to the album a few times, particularly the song Fireflies, has a sort of a. I'm dreamy. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I found it difficult to listen to at night. And I said, for some reason, I think I'm just going to listen to this another time. And I happened to listen to it the first thing in a morning when I hadn't had coffee. I was at that wakeful stage of that first thing in the morning and putting it on just kind of kept me there for a little while longer. It's a very, it has a very nice, uh, dreamy, but wakeful, otherworldly yeah, I just felt like I was, you know, it's just you're being couched very nicely and listening to some nice melodies and it's works but, really but well. But not mellow in a negative way, right. not mellow in a music -y way. Right. You, you've got a sound that's that's dreamy. Nice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, it, it's hard to come up with. We were, before the show, we're doing this on Skype and we use video to see each other. And I was commenting on Doug's dictionaries in his shelves behind him. And I was saying that I don't really use dictionaries much anymore because I figured that if I can't think of a word, I probably shouldn't use it because readers might not know it, you know, whenever I'm writing something. So here we are. We should check our thesauruses and yeah. try to find better adjectives. Yeah. But you've developed this sound that's yours. How did you find this sound? Because when you've got a couple of videos online of you with an acoustic guitar, mm -hmm. and that's a very, very different sound. Yeah. That's, I would say, you know, female singer-songwriter, mm -hmm. early 1970s. But in the studio... You've got this, you've got these layers that come on. How did you develop that? Um, well, it's been over the course of time and involved uh, other people at times as well. So I started off, um, I mean, I've always been interested in music production and I did a, a, a diploma when I finished school in music production and audio engineering. So I started just playing around, basically. I've just had a lot of time spent just experimenting with sounds on logics the program i use to record um and i just i guess it's just a reflection of the sounds i listen to as well i just immerse myself in lots of different types of music so i've always been interested in like harmony and and things like that so i use my voice as a bit more of an instrument sometimes and i layer it a lot and try and find different sounds but then i also work with my partner rich and he's a great guitarist and he has is has a very uh lovely collection of pedals so we just play around again it's a lot of just trial and error finding different sounds and then i must also mention um we're working on truly we worked with Keir stewart who is a member of the Durity column, uh, Vinnie Riley, a factory record uh, artist. And um, he just really helped just bring out what we were trying to get at, but couldn't quite uh, describe in the music. He, he mixed and mastered our album. So it, um, yeah, he just brought it to a whole new. Mm. 
level, really, I think. That's interesting. You can definitely hear the descendants in the sound. If I think back to something like LC, it's got that same sort of mellow layered sound. You don't have to define the Daruti column in this podcast because I do talk <laughs> about them often enough. Of course. Yes, yeah, so it's one of my favorite so one of my favorite artists since back in the very first release. Oh, lovely. Um, in fact, there's a couple of songs where you can almost hear some Vinnie Riley-influenced guitar on your record. Yeah, I'd say there's definite nods to Vinnie. And um, actually, in Fireflies, the song, I reference my uh, c the tune that I co-wrote with Vinnie, Free From All The Chaos. There is that line is in, in there. So there's lots of little nods to like, um, yeah, to that, um, to our friendship, really, with Vinnie. Yes, because you sang a few songs on the Chronicle LXXL album, link in the show notes. Fireflies, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I said to my partner, and I've been in the UK for eight years and I lived in France for a long time. And I said, you know what? I've just realized, do you not have fireflies in this country? Oh, here? Yeah, no, I, I don't think I've seen a firefly around here, actually. Hmm. Um, so why are you writing a song about fireflies? So it was from, it was, the inspiration came from a busking trip. And I was actually in uh, a campsite in Nice uh, in France. And it was just, it got filled with fireflies at night. And it just really is a, a lasting memory from that trip. It was such a special moment because we were just exhausted from traveling. And uh, we just arrived at this beautiful campsite and mountains everywhere. And then loads of fireflies appeared. And that song's kind of just about saying like, you know, did you see the fireflies dancing until dawn? It's about just, you know, um, appreciating what's out there. And, you know, you've got to get out there basically and get absorbed in all this nature. There's, there's just so much out there. Yeah, it's it's weird that in this country you don't have fireflies and there are other things you don't have. That yeah. it, it just when I think about certain types of animals that don't exist and it's not that far away. I don't know if it's the climate or whatever, but I, we, we were thinking in April, there was some really warm weather and we were sitting out in the evening and just came to mind that uh, when I lived in France, you'd get fireflies all the time in summer. Yeah. Oh, it's they're magical. It's very beautiful. So what is the album about? I know this is not a, um, a concept album, but what do you sing about? Well, I guess for me, the the, the process of making the album was quite a healing process. So there's a lot of self-reflective kind of... Um, you know, personal songs on there, but also outward looking. So it's, I think the, the recurring theme is about, um, you know, hope and resilience kind of moving on uh, with life and appreciating uh, lots of looking to nature. And um, yeah, generally there's that kind of feel of just hope and possibility and optimism. It's good to be optimistic, especially in this difficult time. Um, when we've talked to a number of musicians since very early in the lockdown, particularly a number of classical musicians who the kind of people who have their schedule set for three years and all of a sudden it just falls off a cliff. Um, they don't know what to do. <laughs> they, <laughs> they really don't. Some of them they really do. don't They're... know what to do. Yeah. Uh, I remember one violinist said, well, I'm going to learn Paganini's Caprices, which are notoriously difficult. And I guess that's something you do when you've got time to do it. And she. Yes. But then she recorded them. Yes. But uh, what I like is that. These people took advantage of the time off to do something better to like, for instance, you taking the online course and working on your music and recording an album. I'm assuming the album was recorded during the pandemic. No, it was it was finished before it was oh. delayed, it delayed because of the pandemic, but it was finished. Ah. Um, yeah, it was uh, all done about 
I, oh, I, I lose track of the the chron- yeah. chronology at the minute, but it was definitely done before then, yeah. Because yeah. I was thinking it's been two and a half years since you were on the show before, and two and a half years is a long time for an album, yeah. but now it makes sense. So maybe it was ready a year and a half after the first one. Why did you delay it? Did you think that the lockdown wasn't going to be too long? And so if you delay it a couple months, then you can go out and, and perform? I think it was more delayed. Um, I'm just trying to think back. Um, it was just a, a bit of like uh, more like to do with the vinyl plants. I think there was a lot of pressing. Um, things were slowed down, basically. Just yeah. it, it wasn't. And I think just with like Gondwana Records uh, schedule as well, just things had gotten a bit staggered. And so we just fitted into wherever they wanted to place us in. Huh. We forget everything got shut down and we forget how active things used to be yes. before it was shut down. I'm seeing news stories now with like, look, there are people going to work as if it's, <laughs> as if it's <laughs> something extraordinary and it's not. But you're right that there was a fire in one of the two plants that produces the vinyl for vinyl records about a year ago or just before the lockdown. And I don't remember which country it was in, either Germany or Japan or something. And this did put a stranglehold on, you know, those petrochemical, old-fashioned technological things. (laughs) Plastic discs. Yes. Well, (laughs) different plastic. You know, CDs are plastic as well. So now that it's over, you're hopefully going to start busking and you're going to start touring. You're going to start performing. You said you've written a few new songs. Do you think you'll get another album out soon? I really hope so. I'm feeling so... um I'm feeling inspired again. I've got a bit of a, a buzz about making music again and listening to music and I just generally feel keen to keep creating. And so, uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm just I'm just taking it as it comes. And um, yeah, but I'm enjoying writing again. It's interesting because a lot of people are talking about a sort of roaring 20s effect um, as COVID goes away. I think it was in The Guardian this weekend that people in the UK have saved 175 billion pounds during the pandemic. Now, this is very uneven. Low-income people haven't saved anything. In fact, they've lost. But it's all the middle-income, white-collar workers who've been working from home, didn't have to pay to commute, didn't have to buy lunch. And there's going to be this rush, this desire to go out and experience things again. I've read articles that say that at least in the U.S., there is this thing called Hot Girl Summer coming up. <laughs> Not the subject of our podcast, but apparently a lot of people are planning a lot of activity in the coming summer as they get vaccinated and lockdown is released. It'll be interesting to see how this affects music, how both performers and audience. We were talking to someone not long ago and I was saying it's going to be a weird feeling to go back in the theater because as everyone who listens to the podcast know, I'm a couple miles from Stratford-upon-Avon. And what kind of a feeling is it going to be that first time when all of a sudden, after this long period, we have live performances again? Yeah, I think it'll be um, quite strange, but also I just hope that people embrace it and when, you know, uh, and come and support live music because it's, it, it's, we need audiences and, um, but yeah, just, just when it's, when the time's right, I think that's the key, like just, it, it's exciting, definitely. In my imagination, I I assume that I will go to hear live music and the first 15 minutes or so I'll feel uneasy. But once the music starts, I think people will just lose the pandemic. What pandemic? I mean, I think that's I really think that's a that's a thing that could happen. I the reason I say that is because I ate last night at a restaurant 
uh, two nights ago at a restaurant where you didn't, it isn't required to wear masks and there's no restrictions anymore in the state that I live in, in the U.S. And you feel a bit uncomfortable for a few minutes and then you realize, oh yeah, it's normal not to have a mask on. It's normal not to stay six feet away from people. And uh, so it, it comes back pretty fast. But I think there is an anxiety about it. There's no question there's an anxiety. Have the music venues in Manchester been affected by this? Because not being able to open, not having income, have a lot of them closed? Um, I, I feel like quite a few were closing down anyway prior to the pandemic. I think we've lost a few venues um, over the last few years. Um, Tiger Lounge, Ruby Lounge, uh, where else has shut? The Hacienda, um, now an apartment building? <laughs> Oh yeah, well, that's a long time yeah. ago. Wasn't the, wasn't it your mayor was 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 big on promoting the music scene there? Didn't I read that, or did we talk about that before? I've actually seen him at a few gigs as well. Yeah. He's a big supporter of live music, but um, I think that saying that there's um, new venues have opened as well, and I think there is definitely like the scene's so strong. There are people who want to play, who want to put on nights, and. I do hope and think it, it will bounce back in time. And it's it's exciting because there, there was so much going on before. I think it'll it'll just come back hopefully stronger. And It's a cliche, but I think music is in Manchester's DNA. Yeah. And has been for some times. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think it's just got a... The, well, I don't know. I suppose wherever you go, if you're a music fan, you seek it out and you just... After you know, I went to uni in Newcastle, and there was a good scene up there as well. And I'm all yeah, like, but they've got what is it, the Sage in Newcastle? So they've got a big yeah. performance space. And I think any city that has a big performance space that also spawns small performance spaces. Yeah, mm. for sure. It's just nice when there if, if there's like little hubs of independent cafes and bars where people are just dotting around. This tends to musicians flock. I think. What about record stores? Uh, yeah, there, there's some good record stores in Manchester. We've got Piccadilly Records and Wilderness, and um, yeah, that, no, I, I'm I, I love I love vinyl, but I haven't bought much lately. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've talked about vinyl a number of times. Those of us who grew up with vinyl don't really love it that much. No. I, I can understand the <laughs> I, I can understand the attraction of this old technology, and you know, it, there is a. There's a ritual and all that. And a charm. But, There's a charm to it. Yeah, too. but the clicks and but the, the pops. But the clicks and the pops and the grease and the dirt and the clean and the put it away. And, and, the, and, the, uh, and if you have cats and, and the, you cats, know, right. in the hardware and you got to get a, you got to replace your needle and your cartridge and yeah. But I, I see, I think young people today, what's your, what's your audio setup? With a turntable, what do you have it connected to? Uh, I've just I've got some quite good speakers actually, um, and I've got this Denon. Actually, my, I need to take mine to the repair shop because it squeals, um, which isn't great. Uh, oh. This Denon, uh, it's like a CD player slash like a what do you call it? It's just receiver. It, yeah, but yeah. You, so you record music, so it's different. I think most young people they'll have a turntable connected to a single speaker. In fact, there are companies that sell things like that. Sonos sells one of their speakers has a line-in jack, so you can connect it to a turntable. So it's not it's not like the stereo and the receiver of our youth back in you know the previous century. That kind of is though what you have set up there. Is. Yeah, but she records music, so it's different. No. Mm -hmm. Did you record at home? 
at all? Yes, we do. Actually, we recorded most of Truly at home as well. Um, a big chunk oh. of it was recorded at home. Hey, you said you use Logic. That's that's. I mean, that's what I use. That's a wonderful program for yeah. experimenting with. And- yeah, it's. I've I've used that for the. Yeah, that's all I've ever really used, and I'm, I I enjoy experimenting on that. Yeah, it's good. I, I mean, do you compose using Logic? I mean, I know we talked about this briefly earlier, but I mean, you compose using. A, a DAW. That's part. That's an instrument for you. Yeah, it is. It does. Uh, and it's kind of. We talk about this, um, me and Rich, about how we can replicate the sound that we produce on the computer in our live performance. Because we also play with a, a bassist and a drummer. And uh, but there's a, a whole other uh, foundation to the sound world kind of thing through these sounds we create in Logic. So it's just trying to mimic all that. Uh, in the live setup, we we sort of, we started to sample some of it, um, and the drummer triggers some sounds on his sample pad. Now that's pretty cool. I like that stuff. I like that integration of of technology, that kind of technology with the acoustic and with the. That's really interesting to me. How do you prepare a space at home for recording? Well, it's it's evolved over the years because I'm still at, I'm still at my parents' house and we used to just do everything here in my room. I would have like all my instruments and uh, you know just set up on the desk and gradually we've moved out into I've got a a big shed in the outhouse in the garden and um, but it's also a washroom. It's got like the um the um the washing machines out there and we've got a big diffuser though to keep the uh you know the humidity okay but um it's not ideal we're a bit cramped in there at the minute and uh yeah it's good though you know we i i kind of i just make music wherever i i'll, I'll have my guitar in my room or i've got a piano in the front room and i just sort of as and yep. when you that's know. great i love that but that sounds like such a, a great artisanal way of making music i can see like the the prog rockers in canterbury going out in the shed to record <laughs> It's nice. We just need to clear it up a bit more. It's just it's kind of wants to be too many things at the minute. It's like, yeah, we've got to time when we want to do our washing and when we want to play music. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it should be. That's really just the way it should yeah. be. British sheds are a whole world. <laughs> the kind of things that people yeah. do in sheds. Yeah. It's really amazing. No, we're, we're lucky we've got that space because it, it was a bit, you know, having everything in our room, it was kind of a bit cramped and confined so it's better so have you ever recorded in an actual studio a, a full you I know have, with yeah. with 64 track and, well, and isolated rooms and all uh yeah we've done bits and pieces so the awaken a bunch of the tracks were recorded at low four which is like old, where old granada studios was um and that was a great experience we did uh, we did a big chunk of it there. Um, and then with Truly, it's a funny one because we've just kind of collaged it together. We had like, we made a lot of the tunes at home or started them at home. And then I think we recorded, we had a drum session in 80 Hertz studio in Manchester and the drums for maybe four or five of the tracks were recorded then onto our sessions um, what else did we do? Um, and we had a session at Matthew Halsall, who's Gondwana Records founder and amazing jazz trumpeter. He um, he had a bit of a home studio setup as well. Uh, we recorded some of it there. So it's, yeah, a big collage of a process, just kind of pieced it together at different places. Neat. That's really neat. It's amazing how you can do that these days. Yeah. How, you know, you think back in the days, you look at the film of the Rolling Stones in France in 71 recording in the basement, right? But they had the proper studio equipment. Back in the 70s, 
all the really good musicians wanted to have home studios, mm -hmm. but they built these things that looked like studios just at home. Whereas now with the quality of the equipment you have, you can do, as you say, bits and pieces here and put it together. Um, you have a flexibility and, and low cost for recording. And a comfort level, too. We've talked to people who are, they're not, I don't know, they're not afraid of recording, but it's not, to them, it's not an essential thing. I mean, they record themselves practicing and listen back to see how they sound. But they don't incorporate it into a performance or a composition or anything like that. Some, I mean, some do, but many don't. Yeah, that's interesting because, um, like, for some of the songs on Truly as well, I started them without even the intention of sharing them. I was kind of just recording my process of uh, of of writing the song. So the actual the song Truly uh, and the song All That Light on that record, they um, I was in my room and I was just sort of jamming and kind of playing around and those takes that I did well the take I ended up with was just from that session of writing it it stemmed from that so um it's interesting it's great to be able to have that facility because you just don't know when it's going to strike and when you're going right. to end up with something to share and um and then you just really get lost in it and it's that's the best thing about it you're just enjoying the process without feeling like oh I've got to get this take and I've got to get it all right and there's a lot less pressure on it so if you have the reflex to record every time you're doing things, that mm -hmm. gives you that flexibility afterwards to say, hey, that really sounded good. Instead of not recording and then trying to do it and thinking, well, I've got to do it as good as that one was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we call it demoitis, actually, when you're like trying to like <laughs> yeah. get it as good as that kind of what you captured in the initial uh, takes. But yeah, my drummer and bassist laugh at us because we... Uh, because some of the tracks on Truly that they thought were just going to be demos ended up on the record. We were really happy with what we did just in that process. So it's nice. And, and yet the recording does not sound at all like this sort of self-recorded indie music from like the early 80s when people started doing that. It sounds incredibly <laughs> polished. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it does. And, and this is testament to your skill and the tools that you have and, and that you know how to use them so well. I don't know that there are a lot of people like you who do both the writing and the singing and the performing and the recording. So for you, the recording is like an instrument, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I just, I love getting lost in just playing around. I've always had that mentality of just, you know, seeing where something's going to go um, not really even having a, an idea of the outcome, just, just playing around and letting it evolve really naturally. Okay, Keel and Rose, thank you very much for joining us. Links in the show notes to your website, to the album. Thanks, and we're looking forward to the next album. Thanks so much. Really great talking to you guys. Thanks to our Patreon patrons. We've had another great episode with a great guest. And if you'd like to support our podcasting efforts, and you can swing a couple of dollars a month, we are always accepting new patrons at patreon.com slash the next track. Thank you very much. Now it's on to the next track picks. Kirk, what you got? For this week's next track pick, I figured I might as well pick a Durruti Column record. There have been a number of new releases. What would you call them? Expanded releases of Durruti Column albums in the last few years. The most recent one I got is called Sex and Death. It was originally released in 1995. 
And there are 10 bonus tracks, and six of these bonus tracks were retrieved from a long-lost DAT demo tape located in Tony Wilson's personal archive. Tony Wilson was the head of Factory Records. I have not listened to this yet, so it truly is an extract. This mid-90s period of Daruti Kawa music is really interesting because Vinny was discovering things like sampling, and his music was getting a little funkier for a while. So I look forward to listening to this record. Doug, what about you? Well, you know, um, we've been talking a lot about Bob Dylan, and I began thinking, like, who else did I used to listen to? And the first thing that came to my mind was a record that my father played for me, probably inappropriately, when I was a kid, from Phil Oaks. Pleasures of the Harbor was a really popular record from Phil Oaks. Phil Oaks was a contemporary of Dylan's, but they didn't, I mean, and they had a, they, they knew each other, and they had sort of a rivalry, I suppose, but Phil Oaks was a, a protest singer. I think that's how most people would categorize him, not just a folk singer. Although he had this beautiful voice, this beautiful folky tenor, which uh, was disarmingly charming. Most of the things he wrote about were pretty dark, and Pleasures of the Harbor has his probably best-known song, uh, Outside of a Small Circle of Friends, which is about how we just don't pay attention to calamities uh, in our day-to-day lives. But there are so many dark songs on this record, and I, I can't believe my father said excitedly, and I'll never forget, listen to this, listen to this. The songs are quite ironic, and they're made even more ironic because Phil had a difficult time coping with uh, with uh, life. He uh, was diagnosed in, in his early 30s with um, a bipolar disorder and became an alcoholic and he hung himself in 1975. So he had this great career in the 60s and just kind of fell apart. I'll have to go back and listen to his other things. But this time around, I'm listening to Pleasures of the Harbor from Phil Oaks. This was episode number 212 of The Next Track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And don't forget you can support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. Patreon.com slash The Next Track. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We will talk to you next time. <laughs>